Well, here's what happened in the life of your church last week. Last Sunday, after we gathered in worship, our Cairo group, that's the middle schoolers, and CYF, our high schoolers, gathered at Kate Ron's pool for a swimming party just in time for the cold to arrive this week. Monday was a holiday, so I don't know what you did. But on Tuesday at 10 o'clock a.m., people from all around Norwalk and some outside of Norwalk poured into this church as they always do on Tuesday at 10 for coffee time. There were cookies. There was honeydew melon that was passed over for the cookies until the cookies were gone. Then they ate the honeydew melon. And there was coffee cake. There, were, there was always, and there always is, lots of coffee. And even more stories to share. If you're free on Tuesdays at 10 a.m. and you're not joining us for coffee time, well, you're missing out on communion. Tuesday afternoon, a young couple not officially affiliated with our church met with me for premarital counseling first time I had met with them, and they told me that they chose our church because we were the only church in town that would let them get married not being a member. I thought that was a good testament to who our church is, and a little sad as well. Later that night in our building, as happens every Tuesday, the Boy Scouts met. Wednesday morning, our own Betty Smith had a successful, long-awaited surgery, and all morning the phone rang. Church family calling, asking how she was doing, checking in on her. A former church member from Oregon called to see how Betty Smith was. That night, over 25 Cairo and CYF youth and sponsors filled with lots of joy and energy gathered in our building for their weekly youth meeting. And Mary Johnson, Pastor Mary Johnson, (laughs) cooked a delicious dinner for us all. It was sort of a loaves and bread miracle. The, the tortillas just kept coming. They were just, there was plenty. Shortly after we began, the chancel choir and the chalice handbells gathered in this room to practice, to share in music and fellowship. And I think they had a little fun and energy as well as they prepared to lead you in worship. On Thursday morning, as happens every Thursday and Monday, A group of seniors gathered right out there for senior exercise, many of whom aren't members of this church, but are here twice a week every week. That Thursday afternoon, the Jenny McAfee Circle, a group of dedicated women who've been meeting together for years, met again this month and led our community in a discussion on the quality of water in Iowa. They had a special guest as well as the Director of Public Works for the City of Norwalk, who was here to tell us how we could have ensure that we have clean water and a clean environment in the future. Tuesday night, Connie Garrison and many others hosted a community event called Discover Your Optimal Health Day. And people from around the community again showed up in our building to learn how to care for this life that God has given us and how to have a happy, healthy life. On Friday and actually on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday, as well as Friday, people arrived as they do every week to deliver meals, meals on wheels around our community. People from this church and from other churches and from no church at all show up to deliver meals to those who need them. One of the most visible ways our church serves our community, and we've been doing it for decades, I think. 
On Saturday, last night, members of the 30 and 1 class met to play games, dominoes, cards, no gambling. And of course, they ate a lot, always delicious treats. And then it's Sunday, and we gathered here this morning for worship and fellowship, celebrating the ministries of our church. We are an active, active church, full of life. Just a moment ago, Margot read that where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there with them. And if these words are to believe, to be believed, then we keep Jesus busy at Norwalk Christian Church. You should be proud of your church. Amen? Amen. Very good. Now, of course, these words of Jesus often quoted where two or three are gathered in my name, they come in a passage that has a little more to think about. We have to wade through all this stuff about church conflict in order to get to this text. If another member of the church sins against you, Jesus says, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. Now, we aren't a church in conflict. Well, not that I know of. Uh, We are a church that's alive and active, a church that lives together in unity. And though we disagree, we still love each other. So why on a Sunday like this, when we celebrate who we are as a church and find ways to plug into all that God is doing in our life together, why read a text like this? And the short answer is that Marty and I often preach from the lectionary, which is a collection of texts used by churches around the world. And it's the text for this Sunday. I didn't pick it, so don't blame me. But... As I thought about it this week and thought about changing the text, the more I read, the more I thought this is the text for this week. Now, the last couple of months, we've been reading various texts in the Gospel of Matthew, so we shouldn't be surprised to hear confusing, difficult teaching from the mouth of Jesus. Matthew is the gospel writer who likes to sharpen Jesus' words, words that other gospel writers leave smooth and rounded Unfortunately for Matthew, though, Christians over the centuries have taken these words he wrote down and made them much sharper than Matthew ever intended them to be. This text that we just read contains one of the few instances where Jesus gives us some pretty practical teaching for how we should live in church together. Now, Jesus often speaks in parables, telling stories abstractly, in general principles for life and discipleship. But here, well, here's a three-point plan for how to take care of sin in the church. And church folk love three-point plans. Give us a three-point plan and a balanced budget, and we can save the world. Now, the problem is we love these three-point plans so much that In our history, at least in the history of Christianity, this text has been turned more often into a three-point prod, this stick that we use to poke and push out of the church anyone and everyone who doesn't fit in perfectly, all while feeling holier than thou. And to that, to that method, to that way of reading this text, I say shame on them. Because that is not what this passage is about. People have used it as an excuse to kick people out of the church. That's not what Jesus is saying. 
And if you've ever been the victim of such abuse in the church, let me as a minister of the church say, I'm sorry. That's wrong. These words do not give churches and church leaders permission to pry into private lives of people in their community and kick people out of the community. That's, in fact, the complete opposite of what Jesus intends. Jesus doesn't say, if a member of the church is sinning, according to your definition of sin, well, go tell them they're wrong. No. Jesus says, if a member of the church sins against you, if someone wrongs you, maybe they gossiped about you or spoke in a way that caused you pain. Maybe the two of you got into it at a committee meeting or they judged you because of who you love or how you dress or how you vote or whatever it could be. Our world loves to polarize around these things. Assuming that if you disagree, well, then you can't be in community, so let's find a way to build a wall. And how sad that the church has brought this lie from our world into the church, using this text to enforce unchristlike behavior. Here's what I think Jesus is saying If there's a problem in the life that you share together, if Fellowship has been broken between a member of the church or literally between a brother or a sister. Then you must do, you should do, you must be compelled to do anything and everything it takes to restore that relationship. Our life together matters. It's that important. And every person matters. Every person in the community is valued, needed, and loved. So if someone acts towards you in a way that is not of love, well, don't cut them off and kick them out. Don't act in the same hateful way back to them. Love them. Exhaust all possibilities in trying to restore what's been broken. Go to them. Share that you've been hurt and try to restore the friendship. If that doesn't work, bring others to come and to help repair the friendship. If that doesn't, others, if that doesn't work, get the whole church involved in repairing the relationship. Now, okay, that's well and good. But what if they don't listen? What if they refuse to hear your pain? And what if the behavior, the harmful behavior continues? What do you do then? Well, Jesus says, treat them like Gentiles and tax collectors. And you know what we do with Gentiles and tax collectors. We kick them out, right? Now, how in the world could church folk think that treating someone like a Gentile and tax collector means you kick them out? Have we not been paying attention to what Jesus has been doing? All throughout Matthew, what does Jesus do with Gentiles and tax collectors? Well, he has parties with them. He goes to their house. He goes into their homes and heals the sick, Jewish and Gentile communities. Matthew, the one who supposedly wrote this gospel down, was himself a tax collector. Treat them like Gentiles and tax collectors? Well, that means love them anymore. Go out to them. Find them. If they're not with you, go to where they are. Invite them to dinner. Go out of your way to love them, crossing whatever barriers may exist to continue to build the beloved community of God. Maybe some of us have dividing walls among us. If so, listen to Jesus' words. We need one another. 
That's what he's saying. We need this community and no wall, no wrong. Nothing is important enough to tear us apart. What do you need to do to ensure that everyone feels loved and welcomed in our community? For when relationships are restored, where two or three or more come together, Jesus is present. Now that's all prelude, the stuff I didn't really want to talk about today, to get to what I really wanted to talk about, the meat of this text. Hear what Jesus says again. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. If two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for you. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. Now that's some power, isn't it? A few weeks ago, we heard Jesus give Peter this power, the power to bind and loose. And now Jesus gives this same power to all disciples and to the church, to us. But what does it mean? Well, I think it means that we as a church, well, we have power, right? I called this sermon relational power because I think that's the kind of power we have together. The power that comes from being in relationship with one another. The power that comes when we gather together, when Christ is present among us and in our hands is the power of Christ to save the world. We are the hands and the feet of Christ in our world. Our ministries are God's ministries, our mission, God's mission. And that's why we've got to be very careful how we use this power. If we build a wall, then people think God built a wall. If we bind people to hate and prejudice and abuse, then people will believe that God is the one who hates and judges and abuses. But when we tear down walls, when we loose people from the burden of judgment, they will know that God looses them from all judgments and loves them unconditionally. That's why Jesus calls us to do all that we can to ensure that we are together, that any wall that exists is tore down, that anything that would bind us is let go so that we could be free and love together. That's why we use our gifts in service to the church and to the world, because we are God's power in this world, Christ's body, our hands Christ's hands, our feet, Christ's feet, our words, Christ's words. Christ is with us, alive in us and through us, changing the world. And every one of us matters because in every one of us is Christ. And we need each other. We need the gifts that everyone brings. The more hands we have in service, the greater our relational power to change our world, the more our community will experience Christ's love. Think of all we could accomplish. Think of the lives that could be loosed in service to God, the broken hearts that could be bound up in the mercy of God, the burdens we could untie and loose from people's shoulders, throwing off judgments that churches and the world have put unfairly on their backs. 
Think of all the broken pieces in our community that we could bind together in the peace of Christ. We are a church with power. We are a church active in the spirit of God. How are you using that power? Well, go out and see. There's many ways. And there's many more ways because Christ is here and alive and moving and active. And our job is to keep up with where Christ is going. How will your hands be Christ's hands? Christ is calling us together in ministry. How will you accept that call? May we all experience together the true relational power that comes when we together answer that call of Christ saying, here I am, Lord, use me. Let us sing that response this morning.